Hello, this is Cliff McConville from Allgrass Farms. You're listening to 1590 WCGO Chicago Smart Talk. Mike Nowak's show starts in 3, 2, 1. It's loud in here, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> when I was a child, I had a role model. And I idolized Albert Einstein. And my favorite Einstein story is this. When Einstein was an old man, he was tired of giving the same talk over and over again. So one day his chauffeur came up to him and the chauffeur said, Professor, I'm really a part-time actor. I've heard your speech so many times, I've memorized it. So why don't we switch places? I will put on a mustache. I will put on a wig, I will be the great Einstein, and you can take a rest and be my chauffeur. Well, Einstein loved the joke, so they switched places. This went along famously until one day, a mathematician in the back asked a very difficult question. And Einstein thought, oh, the game is up. But then the chauffeur said, that question is so elementary that even my chauffeur here can answer it for you. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. And by Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights, USA made with a five-year warranty. Jumpstart your plants with better light. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. I just think I'll let the harmonica play for a while. Good start to the morning. Yeah. Well, at least until I can hear myself in the headsets here. What? What? Hello? Am I supposed to be listening to you? Uh, no, oh, not, okay. re- not really. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to ask you, uh, Andrew, bring up my level on your end a little bit so that I don't have to crank this box in here all the way up. There we go. That's oh, better. Yeah, now I can hear you. Okay, there we go. Welcome. And uh, we all... Yeah, you know, I, one of the things I've said on the program, and I've said other places, is that uh, all gardening is local. Mm-hmm. So, even if you're listening to this elsewhere, and you're not in an, in uh, a snowstorm, this is not really a storm either. It's just snow uh, here, it's swirling all over the place. Yeah, and so we came through the snow today to get to work. But I was coming in, and I'm thinking, I'm I'm enjoying this. This is good. Not the driving, not not that <laughs> no, so much. That no, was, that was because you've got you got the folks that are uh, the ones who are going to do two miles an hour, and then the ones say say there's no snow. I could do eighty and weave in and out of traffic. And then this, the ones that take both lanes. 
uh, oh, yeah, I can't see the lane. You know, you could actually kind of figure it out. We're in, it's not like we're in the country here where you can't see even where the ditch is. We're in the city. I, you, get, you get a rough idea where the right yeah. lane is. Look for the curb. There's a clue right there. Uh, but I'm dr- coming in and I'm thinking, wow, this is good for the plants. I, I, I like this because we're in that phase. And, and the reason I talk about the rest of the country, because I don't know if you've got snow today. Are you going to get snow? You might. Uh, some of the folks listening elsewhere. Uh, but um, we have snow here today. And in the winter, that's a good insulator. It's good stuff for your plants. So when uh, our meteorologist, Rick DeMaio, last week said, yeah, we're going to be getting some snow this week. I don't think we're getting as much as he thought we were. Um, but we're getting some and we're getting it today. And I'm thinking, phew, okay, good. <laughs> because it had all melted pretty much. And that's what happens. You get this time of year, especially if it's really cold. Uh, I don't want my plants, all that, those nice little plants that I got exposed or are getting exposed mm-hmm. to uh, freezing temperatures without some insulation on top. Although much of my yard is still just a frozen wasteland of frozen icy water. Oh, well, that's different. <laughs> okay. No, so that's I don't. all sitting in a frozen pond. I don't pond. have that. Actually, I had, I, I took some of the ice, I took the ice that was in the birdbath, and I don't have a heater in the birdbath. It's a very simple oh, setup. poor birds. What? You got a heater? I used to. La, see, you, you, no, you, oh, you're busting me and you don't even have a heater. There you go. I just said poor birds. I yeah, wasn't busting yeah, you. I just yes, said you were. poor you birds. Were, you were totally busting me. So I dumped the ice out yesterday and I put in fresh water. Now, of course, by this morning it's frozen. Eh, but I thought, you guys got, you got, you got a few hours. Come on, get over here. Take advantage <laughs> of it. Did they? I have no idea. I have no idea. You had something uh, you wanted to mention before. Yeah, just a promo for next week's show. Oh, yes. As we start heading out of February and into March, Joey and Holly Baird of the Wisconsin Vegetable Gardener are coming down from Milwaukee to join us in the studio. I am so uh, honored because they never come down to, (laughs) they told us before, nah, we don't, we don't go down to Chicago. (laughs) I'm like, it's. It's 90 miles. It's really not that far. It's like a day trip. It's not even a day trip. It's like it's an errand, run an errand. I'm going to run an errand to Chicago. You don't have to pack a thermos or anything. Oh, so that's cool. So if you got veggie questions early, early season, because they're getting ready to ramp up their radio show, Mm -hmm. which is on only March to October uh, in Milwaukee at WNOV. Uh, but I'm sure they're getting prepped yeah. right now for that. And so, yeah, so that'll be a lot of fun. Next but week. today we got straw bales. We've got uh, cottages in the court. That's right. Let's do all of that. It's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. Hey, Chicagoland. When you want the best science-based tree care in the area, go to Bartlett Tree Experts. With locations in Barrington, Naperville, downtown Chicago, and Northbrook, Bartlett has 80 tree care professionals ready to do what's right for your tree and you. They also partner with great organizations like the Morton Arboretum. Whether it's your home or your business, a large job or a small one, every tree needs a champion. Call for a free estimate. Go to Bartlett.com. The Midwest's premier environmental film festival is back with a question. Are you all in? Are you prepared to make a difference for the sake of your children and their children? The 8th Annual One Earth Film Festival returns March 1st through 10th at more than 60 locations throughout Chicagoland. 
Choose from 28 powerful films, meet the filmmakers, talk to like-minded people. You can even volunteer for the fest. Now is the time to go all in. Go to oneearthfilmfest.org. If spring is right around the corner, so is the Chicago Flower and Garden Show at Navy Pier. From March 20 through 24th, the world of literature springs to life at Flower Tales. The story grows on. There are display gardens, culinary demonstrations, kids' activities, potting parties with William Moss, the garden boss, even craft beer tasting and nightly live music. It's all designed to educate, inspire, and motivate the next generation of gardeners. Once again, we're broadcasting live on Sunday morning. Go to chicagoflower.com. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And uh, we're playing here the game of love uh, because, as we all know, gardening is a game of love. (laughs) It's also a game of chance. Uh, (laughs) uh, But uh, you have to like what you're doing uh, to be successful. And somebody who uh, uh, embodies that is on the phone. That's Terry Spate. And I want to make sure, Terry, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Is it Spate or Spite or Speet or how does that go? <laughs> it's Terry Spate. I got it right. Give myself a ding there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, she's, uh, we, we tried to set this up uh, several months ago. Uh, it, it hadn't, didn't quite work out. And it's one of those deals where, so you you try to get somebody on the show, and sometimes it, it happens right away, and sometimes you have to sort of be patient and let it come to you, kind of like gardening, too. And uh, Terry is a, a, a garden writer. She's a master gardener. Uh, she's a speaker, history lover, founder of Cottage in the Court, and that's uh, in the Washington, D.C. area. Right, Terry? That is correct, Mike. Uh, and your background... Uh, you're a native Washingtonian, um, and uh, but your background in gardening, and we'll get to what you do. But I want to talk a little bit about your background real quick. Um, it's it's in the family. I have to admit, mine mine not so much. I, my mom was a gardener, but it was almost uh, eh. You know, if I got time, I'll, I'll do some gardening, <laughs> but uh, but but not really. Um, but in your case, uh, it, the roots of uh, gardening go deep in your family, don't they? Oh, yes, they do. My um, On both sides of my family. Mm-hmm. I remember summers going down to North Carolina and uh, hanging out with my dad's relatives who grew many, many, many vegetables. They had pigs. And then on my mom's side, um, they grew what they ate. They took some to market. And they also had a cow pasture next door. So... Um, they've always grown. I remember hydrangeas, irises, hollyhocks. It's it's just in our blood. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that. See, you come by it honestly, and uh, and that's a good thing because then, as an adult, you get to share what you learned as a child, what you learned growing up, and you've continued to practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me a little bit about Cottage in the Court. What are you What are you accomplishing with your site, Cottage in the Court? Well, I'm trying to bring attention to the fact that 
um, as African Americans, a lot of people think that we just grow vegetables, which prompted a post I wrote on Medium, Mm -hmm. we grow more than collards. We appreciate the beauty of the plant world more than just the vegetables. You know, we um, have accomplished many different um, uh, achievements in uh, landscaping in Atlanta, no less. A friend of mine um, has done a lot down there, Avery Lee. Um, I was head gardener for the city of Fredericksburg. Uh, I helped design the landscape around the train station. So I've also been an organic farmer. So I've had many roles in this field, sharing um, the love of gardening, the joy of gardening. It really is more than just collards. It's more than just vegetables. We appreciate nature like everybody else does, but we are not seen Mm -hmm. in the magazines. We're not, um, I thank you for this, this interview, we're not heard on the radio speaking about gardening from the full spectrum. And, and yeah, and that's partly why I wanted to have you on the show. I mean, when you're talking about uh, hydrangeas and hollyhocks, that's sort of the, uh, you know, the average gardener, no, no matter who that person mm-hmm. is, is, is dealing with that, you know, with soil pH and with everything else that goes with, with it. Yeah, with weather, with, you know, plants working and not working. Yeah, and whether they're yeah. o- ornamentals or vegetables and uh most gar- you know and and where Peggy and I become aware of this is and we knew this anyway but uh the last couple of years in Chicago uh Peggy and I and a, a number of other groups in the city started something called Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards uh and um they are the only citywide awards in Chicago uh, and there are groups from all over the city who have participated in all kinds of neighborhoods and schools and communities, uh, individuals. Um, and you see this uh, uh, with those folks. They know what they're doing. One of one of my right. uh, uh, great memories is uh, uh, is uh, uh, Maimon, um, yeah. who uh, was a uh, a black man who who was living downtown and he had a rooftop garden. Um, and he won award for the first two years of this our contest, and and then died. Uh, so it wasn't sudden. He had a a, a long in, illness, um, but he continued to get up there. And all he did was produce uh, award winning gardens on his rooftop overlooking mm-hmm. Navy Pier down in Chicago. And and you go up there and you go, oh my goodness, uh, how this is just mm-hmm. as spectacular. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that that's just it, Mike. You there are people in the community, in all communities, but also in the African American community, that will mix things together that may not have been the norm. You might not see it in a garden magazine, but these people go unnoticed. And we would love to see ourselves in advertisements. Um, we would love to see ourselves in a garden series, but. It seems like the interest is not there. I am taking people traveling, calling them garden experiences, Mm -hmm. because maybe we don't know what's growing in Paris. Maybe we don't know what's growing in England, in an African-American garden, but in gardens in general. And the only way to get people to rethink this, that we only grow vegetables or they were only interested in urban farming, is to get out there and experience it. So that's one of your curated 
garden experiences, which you uh, talk about on your website. Heck, I, I've i not been to Paris, so you can take me with you next time you go if you want, Terry. I think we could do a remote broadcast from uh, there. Why not? We're all, I, I'm ready to go. Let's let's make that happen. Uh, uh, Trust me, Giverny is waiting all every single year. Uh, and 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 as you say in your site, one of the things you're trying to do is imbue folks with the passion for gardening, the same passion that that you have it. And one of the ways to do it, obviously, is take them to see gardens wherever, all over the world or around the country. Uh, but you also go out and speak. And um, what what kind of topics uh, have you spoken on lately? What what has really um, gotten you going? Uh, lately in terms of uh, your gardening experience? Well, I, I love to speak on xeric gardening because, especially with mm-hmm. uh, the water like it is now, yeah. everyone does not have access to um, water or they're watching their water bill. So, you know, I'm not going to plant that because I'm not going to throw my water away. But you can use gray water. Xeric gardening is gardening in drought-tolerant conditions or gardening right now as the weather uh, deems necessary because who knows what's going on with the weather. Oh, my goodness. But um, in April, I'll be speaking at the Potomac Rose Society um, on plants, perennials that you can uh, plant with roses. Um, But I just wanted to mention real quickly, um, so many times in conversation it has come up that the younger generation of African Americans, they're not seeing themselves in the grand scheme of things. And I wrote a post um, from uh, where I, I talked about Lee May. He is the reason that I am writing and that I am trying to become a presence in the garden writing community. He was a journalist, and he wrote like I think. <laughs> and yes, he. Most people are like, "Who was Lee May?" He was a journalist. Twenty-five years. He wrote. The last part of his life, he wrote for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, mm-hmm. and he wrote about food and gardens. Um, one of the things that really struck me about him was he was open and honest. And I had one conversation with him. We were going to meet, but it wasn't meant to be. But the one conversation I had with him, he told me, Terry, write what's in your head. Write about gardening. The young people will follow. Mm-hmm. People will follow if you write what's on your heart, and that's what I do. That's fantastic uh, and and great uh, advice. Uh, so you're what do you? That's what you write. What do you grow? What? And by the way, you talk about xeriscaping, uh, which is uh, uh, gardening with less water. I don't. When I think of Washington D.C., I don't think of this as a place that's starved for water. So how did that? How did it's that? Not, it's not. Okay. So how did you... It's not start for water. But I got into that because I also have a full-time job in the midst of being vice president of a garden club and writing a newsletter for a garden club and then my own writing and um, helping estate owners curate their own version of beauty on their estates. I come home from work. There's a lot of times I don't have time to water. Mm-hmm. So I have to plant the right plant in the right place so that it will thrive. And my neighbors are always like, oh, your garden is always beautiful, but we never see you watering. I tell them it's because I practice the art of xeriscaping. Nature waters my garden. 
I do not. When something is a little wilted, I keep gray water around when I steam my vegetables or whatever. Or from the shower, I save that water. That is how I water. Uh, Let's talk about that just a second so folks get kind of an idea of what gray water might be. And uh, Mm -hmm. uh, what, what are you using exactly? You said, well, you when had, I take my shower, yeah, How do you, I save that water. There's a five-gallon bucket in my shower. A little bizarre, but yes, it is. <laughs> and I save that water. Yeah. yeah, I do. I save that water, and I sit it outside. When things are looking a little limp, I use that. When I steam my vegetables, um, that water that you're using in the bottom of your pot, don't throw it away. Don't throw it down the sink. Put it outside in a container. Use it in your garden. And that's nutrient You're getting rich. all the minerals from what yeah. you're cooking going back into your, your soil. Right. But you have to be careful about the kind of gray water. If, you're, if you've got uh, detergent in it, do you worry about that? Or, uh, or, or I, don't, I don't really use I don't use my dishwater. Okay. And I use all natural body products. So it's really, I'm not really capturing that soap. I'm capturing the water that's going down the drain from the shower. That's very smart. And I, I'm, I pretty much am organic. I don't really use chemicals per se, and I don't, um, I don't, I don't even fertilize my garden with chemicals. Um, I use all natural everything. So I've not had a bad incident. Should any you know soap or product get in the gray water? Uh huh. And what and what do you uh, you know? That's interesting. You, I thought you were gonna what where you were gonna go with that is that you've not had. Uh, bad, uh, I don't know, situations in the garden. I mean, I tell people that I've been gardening in my my yard for 18 years, and I pretty much eschew chemicals like you do. Um, I use compost out of my garden, and I let the the garden materials in the uh, fall, fall, you know, lie on the ground and then decompose in the spring. And uh, I don't have problems in my garden. I don't have insect problems. I don't have disease problems. Mm-hmm. I, I have one disease problem. I got rose rosette on mm-hmm. a, on a, uh, a, a rose bush, and I'm going to rip that sucker out, and I'm going to move on, and that's going to be the end of that. There you go. <laughs> there you go. The garden, the garden is ever-changing. Yeah. So if you find something that doesn't work, let it go. Let it go. It's okay. There is something else to replace that plant. Been... I thought rosemary would never grow in my zone six garden. Okay. I thought it would, you know, it was going to be too cold. It's going to be rough. I have a four foot tall rosemary hmm. that has been in my garden for fourteen years, and I do absolutely nothing to it except admire the beauty of the blooms. Uh huh. And I make sure I brush by it when I'm walking down that path. Well, that's nice. It's nice to have that. Um... Yeah. I think rosemary is more of a, uh, a water problem, a moisture problem, where they, they tend to drown rather mm. than uh, freeze. But I suppose it's a little bit of both. It's it's one of those plants mm-hmm. that's, uh, I believe, it's a Mediterranean. Mediterranean. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. it is. So you want some... So you raise it, you put rocks around it for mulch, and you don't water it. <laughs> exactly and there you go there's your zero escaping right there in a nutshell that's what uh what Tara... and around here you bring it in for the winter uh that's what uh, you might yeah unless uh, well if it's in the ground you got more of a problem no mine's so, in a pot yeah it's, it's which, sitting under my 
which grow light, which right makes now. sense. So we've got we've got uh, two minutes here, Terry Spate. And by the way, if you want information, go to cottageinthecourt.com. Uh, you also have a, a, a Facebook page, right? Um, and uh, yes, and, and Instagram, uh, and Instagram, and all all that good stuff. Um, what are you looking forward to in 2019? In 2019, I'm looking forward to going to England and going to the David Austin Rose Garden and seeing English cottages and just having a great time. That is this year's adventure. Wow. By way of Paris, of course. By way, wow. wow. It's, all, it's always by way of Paris, right? That's the way you... Well, because August, every August, I have my Paris reset moment. Everything evolves around Paris, so mm. I have to go to Paris, and then I venture on. Last year, I went to Portugal from Paris. So this year, it's England. So, you know, you got to have your reset month. August <laughs> is it. Come join me. Uh, okay, let me know. And, and are you taking people with you? Can they join you this year? Um, I am considering that. If I have enough people to sign up, then yes, we will have an English excursion, so to speak. Um, So if you're interested, uh, ding me uh, (laughs) at Cottage in the Court. It's on Instagram. All right. um, Or send me an email, Terry at CottageInTheCourt.com. In fact, uh, let us know. Keep us posted here, and uh, we can help get the word out for you. That's Terry Spate, Washington, D.C. gardener. Go to CottageInTheCourt.com. Finally, we hooked up. It was such a pleasure, Terry. Thank you. It was, Mike. Thank you for the opportunity. Have a great Sunday. You too. We'll be back with Straw Bale Gardening. This is Mike Novak. Admit it, you're already jonesing for fresh tomatoes. You've even thought about growing them indoors, but you're not sure how. Happy Leaf LED to the rescue. Their website has how-to videos about planting your indoor garden, including tomatoes. The secret is their fantastic grow lights. Five-year warranty, USA made, available in three sizes. Go to happyleafled.com and do some video binging. Happy Leaf LED grow lights. Jumpstart your tomatoes with better light. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, mike at mikenovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at mikenovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at mikenovak.net. Here is today's top automotive tech story. I'm Nick Miles. Ford introduced a new Explorer, which will include a police interceptor, a gas, a hybrid that will go 500 miles on a single tank, and a performance ST model that will have over 400 horsepower. On the technology front, it'll have a 10.1 portrait-mounted touchscreen, much the same as a Tesla. Ford's Copilot 360, driver assistance technologies that parallel parks the vehicle for you, and terrain management systems. For more cool car tech, visit testmiles.com. Out here on the trail, the difference between a good time and a great time usually comes down to how dirty your Tacoma gets. So put that multi-terrain select to good use. Track down some nasty stuff and dive right in. Learn more at toyota.com slash testmiles. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And now 
We, uh, I don't even know to what part of the country. Minnesota. Is this, oh, we are. Yeah, let's go from Washington, D.C. to Minnesota, bring back a guy who was on the show. I was looking, Joel Karsten, and by the way, Joel Karsten um, is, well, he's a famous guy now. And I talked to you, I talked to you first in 2013. You weren't quite as famous, although you were on the cusp of becoming really, really famous. Uh, it seems like a long time ago, doesn't it, Mike? It Boy, was. I tell it, you, I know. I I was kind of surprised at how long it had been. It's about five and a half years since you and I talked, and you were in the studio with me when I was at hmm. uh, uh, another radio station that shall go unnamed, and uh, uh, we talked about the book that you had just published, which was uh, Straw Bale Gardening, and yep. and now you're into your third book. In fact, I got the book here. Hold on one second. You talk, Peggy. Straw Bale Solutions. Actually, is this your third or fourth? This is uh, actually, Straw Bale Solutions was the third, and I have a fourth with this publisher coming out this spring, coming out in March. So, yeah, we're, we're they're constantly looking for more stuff on Straw Bale Gardening because it's become quite popular, so. Uh, you, th- you, know. you think like five <laughs> 500,000 people who are practicing straw bale gardening and um, or as he says half a million straw bale gardeners can't be wrong. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose they could be, but I don't think they are. Um, yeah. And so, Joel, congratulations. Uh, Thank ba- you. Back when you and I talked in 2013, uh, your first book had just come out, you had ju- and that had just been reviewed in, <laughs> in, as you say, a little publication on the East Coast called the New York Times. Uh, and that had to really sort of give you a jump start. If, in fact, it's the article that caught my attention. Uh, and uh, and I can't believe that you were actually in Chicago at the time. So you came into the studio and we and we talked about it. And I was one of those uh, people because I am a skeptic at heart. Um, I thought, OK, this is kind of gimmicky. Uh, let's see how this works. And 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 uh, I'm in uh, good company, as you know, because a lot of people felt exactly the same way. And in fact, when you were starting to do straw bale gardens, you weren't quite sure if this was all going to work. Yeah, it was all an experiment when Mm -hmm. I first started doing it. You know, I called a bunch of my old professors at the university and said, here's my idea. This is what I'm thinking about doing. And all of them told me it wouldn't work. (laughs) So, and I said, well, has anybody actually ever tried it? And they said, well, no, not that we know of. But I called around to a bunch of different universities with good horticulture programs and asked the question, and everybody said, ah, we don't think it'll work very well, but, you know, if it does, let us know. And so, you know, I, I certainly wasn't the first one to ever do this, I'm sure, um, but it, I sort of developed a method for, a foolproof method for how to make it work for anybody, and certainly now people have proven all around the world that it, it works really well. Well, uh, except that uh, there's a the article that that the article that sort of gave you the springboard in the New York Times actually talks about strawbale gardening that was done in earlier decades. It just never caught on in the same way that you're doing it, probably because there wasn't a system like the right. one, the yeah. one you've said. I mean, now six years. Well, actually, you're like ten years down the road from when you first started experimenting with this. And if you read the book, man, you've got this down to literally a science. Uh, and so now you're ready for any, and that's one of the wonderful things about your new book, Straw Bale Solutions. And you can go to my website, mikenovak.net 
and uh, see all the links there. Uh, and if you don't want to go to my website, you want to bypass my website. I don't like you very much, but if you want to, you can. Uh, uh, what's uh, where can folks go? there joel if they want to just go to yours they could go of course they can always visit our website strawbellgardens.com but they can go to any of their local bookstores most Mm -hmm. independent bookstores carry my books as do you know all the big chains barnes and noble and of course the the big a online uh amazon carries it but um yeah they can find information anywhere i mean if you google about strawbell gardening Mm -hmm. now you'll find there's lots of information out there not just my material but you know people have taken my material and and expanded upon that so there's a lot of information out there online that people can get their hands on you know if you want a really good reference book for long term you know if this is going to be something you're going to do then then buying a a copy of one of my books is going to be a good investment strawbell gardens is probably the one if you're a, if you want the how-to information. Strawbell Solutions is a little different book. I, if you got yeah. a chance to thumb through it, it's really stories right. about 28 gardeners from all around the world, uh, 12 countries, five, six continents that uh, where people have successfully grown Strawbell Gardens in places where they couldn't solve their gardening problems with any other traditional methods. And Strawbell Gardening was able to solve those problems. So it's a it's a book I'm proud of, but it's mm-hmm. not really the how-to. The how-to book is Strawbell Gardens. So uh-huh. let's go back to that one. This is more the inspiring. Excuse me. Hello. Uh, yeah, it, it's more inspiring than how-to. Yeah, yeah, the inspiring and the problem-solving. And what I liked in there was so many of these people now have Facebook pages and websites that if you have a similar... It, yeah, So they, and they tell their stories. So... Yeah. Uh, I think we should start at the top, which is explain very briefly what straw sure. bale gardening is, because here we're talking about solutions right. and stories, and and a lot of folks are probably thinking, what right. what, what 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 is it all of this? Yeah, so what is this? Let's... Well, that's the the illusion of straw bale gardening is that you're planting vegetables in in straw. That's the illusion, and it's really not true. What you're actually planting vegetables in is very recently decomposed straw. But the outside is still going to look like a straw bale. The inside is going to very quickly become early stage soil or compost. And we do that by accelerating Mother Nature's natural process where she grows bacteria inside of this bale. But we accelerate that by adding what bacteria like to eat, which is nitrogen. You can do this organically with blood meal. Or if you're just a traditional gardener, you could use lawn fertilizer as long as it doesn't have any chemicals or anything in it. And that nitrogen source feeds the bacteria. They very quickly replicate and colonize that entire bale, and then they begin to metabolize the straw. And they actually break the straw, Mm -hmm. the stalks down into cells, the cells down into molecules, and then each of those molecules is reused to build new cells of new plants that emerge out of that bale. So there's a lot of biology that happens inside there, but really all you need to understand is that the inside of that bale is going to become early stage soil. It won't look like soil, but it's going to have the same properties as soil, where it has free ions that can be absorbed by the roots of a new plant. Um, so it's simple, but there's a lot of complexity when it comes to biology happening inside of that bale. Yeah, one of the complexities is the uh, the idea of ions, all right? Um, I, I have some questions about this, and, we'll, and I'll get to them in a second. But sure. one of my first questions is, in a lot of reading I've done about gardening and different gardening techniques, I've never seen the emphasis on ions the way you emphasize it. Why is that, and what's what are you trying to tell people? 
Well, basically what I'm, I'm trying to explain to people as simply as I can, how the chemistry really works, how, how do plants build cells? And they, they do that by absorbing, everybody remembers osmosis from uh -huh. third grade science, right? They absorb their root tissue, um, ions come up against that root tissue and the osmotic pressure inside that root is lower than outside and that allows those ions to shift through that root tissue and be absorbed into the, the roots of the plant. And then those, those ions that come in work together to form compounds which help to create the cell walls and the structure of each of the cells and that's what emerges out of the ground very rapidly that becomes the seedling it becomes the stem and that becomes the leaf and then it forms the seed and and uh up comes your new plant out of that bale now those those ions those molecules those cells never disappear of course, we harvest some seeds and that goes off to market your oats or wheat seeds or whatever, but the stalks are still there. So all of the cells that created that root, that tissue, that stem and leaf tissue, they're still there. All we need to do is use Mother Nature's other tools, which are insects and worms and fungi and mold. And then the heavy lifter, the one we can't see is bacteria to metabolize, to sort of chew up those cells for lack of better explanation here, to chew them up, to metabolize them and break the cells back down into molecules, which a charged molecule, individual molecule is referred to as an ion or a cation, depending on its charge. And then those become free to form something new, to get absorbed through the roots of something new and form a new plant. So what last year was an ion trapped inside of a cell of a tomato plant, this year could become an ion trapped inside of a cell in your potato plant or your beets or whatever comes out of that garden. So it's Mother Nature recycling the same ions over and over again. Hmm. Okay, folks, there's going to be a quiz about this afterwards. <laughs> just, just letting you know. Uh, and by the way, if you've, uh, if you're interested in doing some straw bale gardening, if you have done straw bale gardening, uh, if you want to talk to us about your straw, I'll tell you what. Uh, if you got a question. About straw bale gardening, 877-711-5611. 877-711-5611. And uh, maybe we'll just uh, reward you with a, with a book just, just for calling in and asking a question about straw bale gardening. Uh, straw Bale Solutions is the book, and uh, um, you'll find it fascinating because you do put enough in there about straw bale gardening, even though this is, you know, the next step forward in stories of people, you're going to find some interesting stories that apply to you. For instance, I found a story in there that applied to me, uh, which is, and, and, and ironically, not, or, or interestingly, I guess, not ironically, it's in Illinois. Yeah. It, it's a story about how they had bad soil in Marion, Illinois, and took a straw bale gardens. At a community and, garden. In community garden, and put the straw bale uh, out there so that they wouldn't have to worry about contaminated soil. And, and then you raise the question that I have in a yard where I want to grow tomatoes, but I've grown them for the last two years, and I don't, I don't want to tempt fate by putting tomatoes in the same place again this year. And I'm thinking, you know what? i got to get some straw bales mm -hmm. and just do it that way. And that way I'm protecting, I'm giving the soil a break. Um, and that should work, shouldn't it, Joel? Absolutely. Yeah. Crop rotation is key to a successful vegetable garden, but where you can't rotate crops, you can certainly rotate the soil. And that just means putting a new bale underneath those plants. You know, you're probably going to need a new bale every two years or so, 
So you're never going to get long-term exposure of that plant inside that bale, which would accumulate diseases or insect problems. Right. Um, so it's a great solution for somebody with a small space that doesn't have room really to, to do normal crop rotation. All right. That's Joel Karsten. He's the author of Straw Bale Solutions. We've got more coming up, so stick around. You can go to his website. You can go to mine and pick up a copy of the book. Mike Novak with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Get ready to eat, meet, and be thoughtful at Family Farm's 15th Annual Good Food Expo. It's your chance to connect with Midwest farmers and producers, learn from chefs like Erling Wu Bauer and Gene Banchett, and eat delicious food in the Good Food Court. Entry is free with online registration. The Good Food Commons is back, as is Test Your Soil. Good Food happens Saturday, March 23rd at the UIC Forum in Chicago. Visit goodfoodexpo.org. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. You can enjoy fresh local food all winter long at indoor farmer's markets hosted by different Chicagoland houses of worship on select Saturdays and Sundays from now through April 6th. Your purchase of sustainably produced foods helps support regional farm families. The markets are organized by Faith in Place, a nonprofit which inspires people of all faiths to care for the earth through education, connection, and advocacy. For a market schedule and more info, go to faithinplace.org. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Bringing a lot of social science into climate change is really important. People who teach climate change now, you have to really get into how it's affecting people, how it's affecting the ability for people to cope, how it's affecting the ability of people to adapt or to mitigate. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate and how it might be affecting you, your lives, and your garden. On WCGO 1590, Chicago's Smart Talk. Catch Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall every Sunday from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on 1590 WCGO. Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. What we're talking about is not exactly compost heaps, but something that is very similar in some respects, and that is straw bale gardening. You get your straw bale, and if, and if you read through it, basically what you do is you, you prime it in the beginning of the season. Right, Joel Karsten? Yep, that's what we call it. Conditioning is what we Condi- call it. You call it. You call it. Call it conditioning. Okay. Mm-hmm. I say rev it up. Okay. Prime. Prime <laughs> yep. the. You prime, Heat it up. Yep. Prime the pump. And one of the there's a uh, there's some things that I wrote on uh, on my blog on my website about what's good about this. And 
here are just several things that straw bale solutions can do for you. Uh, straw bales overcome the obstacle of poor soil. We just talked about that, or contaminated soil, or soil where you need to rotate crops. So that's one of the things that straw bale gardening does. Straw bales heat up faster in the spring than soil, which allows you to plant earlier. And that's a really big deal for people who have short gardening seasons but it also works for people with hot gardening seasons it's not the heating up but the straw bale uh manage holds moisture uh that's another thing it does uh so they require less water than you think they reduce the amount of uh, backbreaking work requiring required to grow vegetables if you don't like digging boy you're not going to dig with a straw <laughs> bale you all you're going to do is plunge your hand into it and pull out a potato perhaps uh, weeds and weeding are basically eliminated. Think that one over for a few seconds, folks. Um, and there's no need to purchase raised bed framing. It's a raised bed without the frame because it already looks neat. It's just got a little string and, uh, you know, straw in a bale shape, and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell you, in Straw Bale Solutions, you see those photos of some of the creative ways that people, it's like the one in, in France. That oh, was amazing. Oh, my. They turned straw bale gardening, gardening, uh, into, gardening art? into art. It was unbelievable. Well, you're, you're convincing me, Mike. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also liked you had in there people who were using pallets at the side, old pallets, to hold it in yeah. place, which is another recycling. Yeah. Or, yeah, they, they often use that for, they make like a, sort of like a bin that they put second or third year bales in. When the bales start to fall apart, you can sort of reconnoiter them and put them into a little trough that you make mm-hmm. out of those just old pallets cut in half and then nail yeah. them together. Um, yeah. And that's something that, you know, you give people an idea online. We have we have over 100,000 people on our Facebook page now that do this. And there are, Mike, there are over 105 straw bale gardening groups not just in English, but there's multiple languages on Facebook. And so wow. all of these people's focus in life is straw bale gardening. So I gave them this idea, <laughs> and now they take it and run with it. And they come up with these yeah. fantastic ideas. You know, you know, Joel, we call this a cult, all right? That's, that's, you got to be careful about oh, that. You know, the cult of straw yeah. bales. But, you know, if you're going to have a cult, this is a good one. Um, all right, yeah. here's what I'm going to do is, uh, since nobody wants to ask well, a question. Because... Well, we have a question on Facebook. Oh, right. you do? Okay. What's the question there? Uh, is there anything you wouldn't recommend growing in a straw bale? Anything Ooh. that doesn't work yeah, well? Couple, Great question. Couple things. Don't grow sweet corn because you're only going to get about three stalks of corn out of a bale. It's it The roots are huge. Um, so don't grow sweet corn. Don't grow things that are permanent like asparagus and rhubarb mm-hmm. because it takes a couple years just to get a root established. So that's not going to do well in a straw bale. Straw bales are going to decompose in a couple of years. You're, you're going to have nothing left but this beautiful compost uh, pile laying there. Um, the other thing that hasn't done really well for me is onions. I haven't had great success with. Really? Okay. And I haven't, yeah, onions of all things. And then I also, rosemary doesn't seem to do very well. All the other <laughs> uh, herbs do fantastic. And every other vegetable I can think of does does really well. You know, things like blueberries aren't going to grow well in a straw bale. They need more acidic environment. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, any vegetable that you would normally grow in your garden soil at home is going to do even better in the straw bales. So, uh, is, who who sent that question? Mac. In? Oh, okay. Uh, thank you, Mac. That that was a great question, and 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 you know, and that takes us to to the bump music I played in here, which is the straw bale is basically in some ways a compost pile. So if you've ever had a vine spring out of a compost pile, like I have had, 
and I've grown stuff out of my compost pile. What, cucumber or squash last year? I had uh, tomatoes come out of my compost pile. I just let them grow. And I said, okay, eh, you know, if you want want to grow. And and actually, we had uh, squash as well. I've had squash. I've Mm -hmm. had acorn squash. It's, uh, you know, but, but this is a controlled compost pile. So tell me that uh, you talked about things you cannot grow. A lot of people, and, and you know, as for rosemary, I would, my guess would be that the inside of the compost pile is a little too moist for rosemary mm-hmm. to be sustained. What do you think about that, Joel? Yeah, I think that's probably it. And it, it likes a little more, you know, Dry. harsher yeah. soil, harsh mm-hmm. environment is what it really yeah. likes yeah. better. But So uh, how many tomato plants do you think you can grow in one uh bale of straw well it isn't the the size of the bale it's what you do with all the vine above the bale right uh you know so really if you're doing heirlooms you, you might get two in a bale but if you're doing hybrid tomatoes i mean one tomato plant in a bale is going to take up you know the roots will fill the whole bale but the top of that vine is going to go you know seven feet tall and eight ten feet wide and right. you're going to get a hundred tomatoes off of it so I advise people just one tomato. Now you can put some basil in the sides of the bale and you can do some carrots maybe around the tomato, which mm-hmm. will which will come earlier in the season and you could harvest those before your tomato really starts to shade everything underneath. Um, but part of the straw bale process, what, what I teach people to do in the book is to build a, a trellis system above the bales, which is going to hold all this vine material. And then we're going to trellis things up that normally you wouldn't. Your cucumbers are all going to go up on this trellis. Some of your squash plants you can get up on this trellis. And that gets all the foliage up off the ground, which gives you better air circulation and will prevent um, and eliminate a lot of disease issues and insect issues as well in the garden because you get that better circulation around that foliage. Um, so it can help solve some of those problems as well. Uh, we're talking to, to Joel Karsten. His latest book is Straw Bale Solutions. I have one quick question that uh, it's sure. been sort of bugging me uh, because, uh, you know, the science of this, you're still figuring it out 10 years down the road. Do you not and and folks should know that you don't put your seeds right in the straw bale. Generally, you put a little potting mix on the top to help get the seeds started. So and then the seeds reach down into the bale, and that makes sense to me. Do you have any issues with uh, nitrogen being captured uh, by the decomposition and not available for the plants? Well, as long as you wait for the entire conditioning process to happen you'll see a sort of a nitrogen sink cycle that happens inside the bale where the bales get really warm and that's when the bacteria are colonizing and they're using nitrogen and as soon as the bacteria fully colonize the bale then you'll see the temperature inside the bale will drop and when that temperature drops you know that now nitrogen is being released because those little bacteria are starting to die, and they're, when their little bodies explode, the endoplasm inside those bacteria is where that nitrogen, which is now able to be absorbed by the plant, is going to be available from. Mm-hmm. Right. So as soon as the temperature drops, that's a telltale sign that nitrogen is, is going to be available when you put your plants and you uh, need, now inside and, the bale. And you need one of those thermometers. How long do you want the thermometer to be? Yeah, you could use a compost thermometer, which are, those are usually 12, 14 inches long, or you can just use your meat thermometer attached to the end of your arm. Just stick your hand right down inside the bale. <laughs> and if it feels cool to your body, that means it's going to be under 100 degrees, and that's perfectly 
safe to plant. If that, it feels hot, it's, it's too hot. Joel Karsten, Straw Bale Solutions. Thanks again, Joel. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mike and Pam. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Sound red alert. Shields up. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe, author of my favorite children's stories. Captain, I am attempting to access a copy of the masterpiece. Hmm, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. 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 Yes, Mr. Watt. Yes, Captain. AroundTheBlockPress.com. How many times can I say it? Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. And by Sitka Salmon Shares, bringing responsible and sustainable wild Alaskan seafood direct to your door. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. All in your straw bale garden. Of course. Properly conditioned. Properly conditioned. And trellised. Uh, but that's pretty cool. I mean, it's it's uh, it takes about, by the way, we didn't mention, to condition your straw bale garden uh, or your straw bale, um, it takes uh, about three weeks to condition it, and you have to do it every day. But once you've done that, it's set. And you can do it earlier. You can set it out when there's sun. And it starts to absorb the heat. So even in uh, the early part of the season, mm-hmm. when you might not have as much heat in the ambient air, you will have it in your straw bale. So you add fertilizer on a regimen that is in the book. You can look it up uh, and then you water it and you try not mm-hmm. to overwater it like a gallon per bale per day is what the watering thing is, which seems like it's not enough, but it is enough. Yeah. That's one of the things Joel says. And then you get the the thing going in about 18 to 21 days, and uh, voila, you plant and you go, and it's warm inside, and and you can get stuff going earlier, and you get tomatoes earlier, folks. You know, add your happy leaf LED to get them started, and then then plant them outside your bale. You're going to have tomatoes in April. (laughs) No, you're not. Well, maybe May. Maybe not. Maybe June. Maybe June. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And, uh, oh, and the other thing I want to say about the book, and we did not get to this in the conversation with Joel Carson, what he's doing is really cool. He's taking it to other countries uh, around the world. He just mentioned Cambodia. Cambodia, the Philippines, South Africa. Uh, where conditions are difficult, and he says it's working wonders in some of those places in the world. So now, you know, it's not enough to just get gardeners doing this. He's trying to feed the world, which is a great thing. And the the other thing we didn't mention is that you can make a straw bale garden out of almost anything, any mm-hmm. plant material at all. Straw is the best. It's the easiest. Uh, it's already there. But if you got leaves, if you got uh, old plants that you, you want, you have to smush them into grass a bale. Clippings, yeah, grass clipping. You got, you got to pound them together and then bale them. 
But other than that, it works pretty well. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's just amazing. It's an amazing technique. And, and he's I asked him off air if he's rich uh, and, <laughs> and he refused to answer that question. So uh, there you go. What uh, we got? I, well, and I have a question for you. Yeah. So this is the third week you've worn. No, second week. Second week. Well, second it's the third week. time I've seen it. Then. All right. We got to show this off. Yep. There He's go. got a sweatshirt that says Pluto. Never forget 1930 to 2006. Best birthday gift ever. Thank you, Kathleen. And uh, yeah, I love I love this. And we wore it last. I wore it last week and then didn't mention it. How could I not mention it when we got it on camera here? Of course, I got to know which way I'm turning here. <laughs> uh, there He's we, doing and, his best, Vanna. If it, you're it, not watching on it Facebook, even Live. got the hoodie. Ooh. So I can just <laughs> I can have my Pluto. Hoodie on at the same time, so there you go. <laughs> I love this, uh, and and there there is some controversy. They might be bringing Pluto back as a real planet, which was it was a dumb thing to do in the first place. Because regardless of what some scientists say, other scientists say, you know, the idea that it has to be a certain size. I mean, some people are saying if it's big enough so that it forms a round planet. That is qualification for being a planet. There you go. Like, not like this, uh, this uh, Ultima Thule, which obviously is not big enough, which they just, mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. So, hey, next Saturday is Wild Things. Wild Things Conference in Rosemont at the Rosemont Convention Center. Yeah, and you and I are going to be there, and we're going to be uh, videotaping a couple of conferences there. But if you haven't signed up for Wild Things, go to wildthingscommunity.org. Uh, and I wonder how many folks they have. They're planning to have a lot of yeah. people there, maybe a couple of thousand. But you can sign up online. You can uh, sign up for, um, they've got lunches available. They've got post-conference events. They've got so many things going all day. Yet you definitely want to be there. Yeah. And uh, as I said, we will we will be there and we're going to be, you and I will be, well, you know, when we get a chance, we're going to try to see something. I don't think I don't. You know, I've done this before. Been been through this drill, and I've had people say, well, "What are you going to see?" And I say, "Probably yeah. nothing. Probably uh, I'll be focused on recording those yeah. two because I'm the moderator." For and you'll be able to watch us on the Mike Novak show on Facebook Live several times throughout the day and and uh, see what's going on too. Yeah. So uh, again, go to Wild Things Community if you want that information and uh we hope to see you at wild things at uh the donald e stevens convention center in rosemont it's a new location so be aware of that but it's easy to get to the trains drop you right off there if you're driving it's right off the highway so uh, that's i think that's one of the reasons they did it and Mm -hmm. it's not downtown so you're not paying an arm and a leg for parking uh and uh on and on and on so this is a good good place is there something you wanted to add to that? Nope. Okay. Nope. Well, then we'll just, uh, we're going to have silence for 60 well, seconds here I can, while we're. <laughs> so, coming up this afternoon on Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall from 1 to 3, right here on 1590 WCGO, Bill and Carrie are welcoming jazz artist Chris Green of the Chris Green Quartet, the president, CEO, and author of Finding America's Greatest Champion, a guy named Terry Iverson, author and founding executive director of CLHOF, Donald G. Evans, and The Theater Report with Lainey Peterson. Plus, you can continue to blame Bill for everything that's troubling you. I, uh, If you want to blame him for the snow, that's a, that's a good place to start, but I happen to like snow, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, coming up next, 
films from the One Earth Film Festival. We've got a great one about sequestering carbon. Doesn't sound interesting, but it is. Uh, the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Are you ready to go all in for our planet? All in is the theme for the annual One Earth Film Festival, March 1st through 10th at more than 60 locations throughout Chicagoland. 28 powerful solution-oriented films cover climate change, conservation, food waste, energy, and more. They will move you and inspire you to get involved for the sake of our collective future. Don't miss the Midwest's premier environmental film festival. Go to oneearthfilmfest.org. You can't count on the weather in this town, but when spring arrives, you can count on the Chicago Flower and Garden Show to make an appearance. March 20th through 24th, it's Flower Tales. The story grows on at Navy Pier. Once again, literature is seen through the prism of flowers, plants, and gardens. More than 20 featured display gardens, garden gourmet, daily free kids activities, the marketplace, and more. We're broadcasting live from the show on Sunday morning, so stop by. Go to chicagoflower.com for details. Here is today's top automotive tech story. I'm Nick Miles. Kia introduces its new flagship SUV, the Telluride, packed with automotive tech, including the Kia DriveWise suite of advanced driver assistance systems and an available 10.25-inch color touchscreen with rear-view monitor and parking guidance. Telluride will have available wireless smartphone charging, available six total USB charging ports, multi-Bluetooth wireless connectivity, allowing two phones to connect simultaneously. For more cool car tech, visit testmiles.com. Here's the thing about bragging rights. They don't come with trophies or medals. But when your Tacoma with crawl control powers over a gnarly patch of rocks, there's nothing more satisfying than throwing it in your buddy's face. Learn more at toyota.com slash test miles. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. I'm just going to play this music uh, all morning long. Eh, I can't. Uh, that's a guy named Tom Rhodes, and he did some really, really terrific music. And, you know, and that's just sort of incidentally what this film is about. We're very pleased to have uh, Marcy uh, Cravat back on the show. So Now, your first name, is it Marcelina or Marcelina, or how do you pronounce that? It's Marcelina and Marcy for short. Yeah. And Marcy and I talked, oh my gosh, it was, uh, oh boy, it was four years ago um, when yeah. when yeah. you came to the One Earth Film Festival, which is back in Chicago this year, starting March 1st through the 10th. Um, and uh, Marcy had a film four years ago called, uh, and, that's, and I'll make, I want to make sure I pronounce this correctly, Angel Azul. Is that how you yeah, pronounce? Okay, that's, that's right. Yeah, because you know, after four years, I <laughs> I hardly remember anymore. Uh, and that was a wonderful film. And uh, it, here's here's the concept of Angel Azul. Uh, there's this old joke, you know, Marcy, about what do you call fifty thousand lawyers at the bottom of the ocean? <laughs> I, I don't know the joke, I, but I'm I'm following your line of reasoning. <laughs> The answer, of course, is a good start. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, what do you call a lot of sculpture 
at the bottom of the ocean? And and it's actually the same answer. It's a good start uh, because uh, it, you had the artist who who put the uh, and what was his name again, Marcy? Jason DeCarries Taylor. Thank you. And uh, uh, he he was man. It's just uh, amazing to to see art that's created to be left at the bottom of the sea uh, for a purpose in terms of building coral reefs and seeing how that material attracts the, the reefs and, and, the, and the organisms that create that. And that, that was a, a wonderful film. And you've done it again, Marcy, uh, with Dirt Rich, which is coming to uh, the One Earth Film Festival. There are three showings in Chicago. I'll get that out right away. Sunday, uh, March 3rd at 2 p.m. at Windsor Park Lutheran Church. And as you know, uh, the One Earth Film Festival is all over Chicago. There's, it's all over the place. So uh, folks in lots of different areas get to participate. So uh, Sunday, March 3rd, Windsor Park Lutheran Church in Chicago. Wednesday, March 6th, College of Lake County in Grays Lake. Saturday, March 9th, uh, at Triton College in River Grove. That's at 2 p.m. The Wednesday one is at 6.30. And you're going to be there in person, aren't you, Mar- Marcy? Uh, yeah, we'll be at the Wednesday, uh, the Wednesday screening at the Lake uh, County uh, yeah. College. College of Lake County, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, so here we go. We, uh, You know, as I was just saying, coming uh, uh, into the break, that uh, the idea of carbon sequestration might not be the sexiest subject in the world, except for the way you treat it, which is <laughs> to go hopscotching around the globe and talk to people who are involved in it. And you talk to some pretty wonderful folks. Um many in the United States, but elsewhere in the world. Why did you decide to do this film? Well, when I was filming my last film, Angel Azul, and we were in the final stages of filming, we were doing an interview with Tom Garreau, and we were discussing issues around the coral reefs, and um, he mentioned something about carbon, which sort of I, I didn't process. I was really focused on that film. And he started to talk about having too much carbon in the air, which I didn't really know a whole lot about. And so I asked him, um, Tom, is there any kind of machine or anything where you can just suck the carbon out of the air? And he said, well, actually, there is. Uh, We have something right now. And it's called, and he turned around and pointed to a tree behind him. And I thought, whoa, this is kind of interesting. So he started to go on talking about biochar, words I'd never heard before, and I wasn't really capable of processing it at the time, but I made a mental note that it was interesting and that I'd like to come back to it. Mm -hmm. So when I was on the festival circuit with Angel Azul and had time to be thinking about my next film, which seems to be the way it goes, I remembered what he said and, and circled back with him. And the topic at first seemed kind of like, eh, you know, but as you start <laughs> to explore the strategies and the importance of building soil, it all of a sudden became very exciting to me. And it took us on basically a four part um, exploration of strategies because we sort of divide the film into sort of four sections where we explore different types of strategies. And they're all so interesting and exciting and so much so to me personally that my husband and I bought land and now we are trying our hand at, at doing building soil and growing plants. 
Really? Where did you buy the land? We got land uh, north of where we live here in California in a little town called Winters, mm -hmm. which um, happened to be a, a town that I became aware of through filming the beavers in the film. Um, there is a veterinarian up there named uh, Dr. Ali Garcia, and he was very involved with a beaver restoration project up there in Winters. And I filmed there and I saw how beautiful it was. And it actually didn't hit me until we started looking elsewhere. I was sort of triggered to remember that beautiful little town. And we went back up there and we found a really just the perfect piece of land for us. Okay. Got one for me too? Yeah, sure. You can come. All right. <laughs> No, just pick out a perfect piece of land for me, and I and I and I will be there. Well, it 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 is interesting that you've decided to put your money where your mouth is, and uh, in a sense, and see what you can do because you do talk about biochar in the film. Uh, Peggy and I have talked about we've had biochar folks on the uh, show, but it's interesting to see how how this is being done in the wild, yeah. so to speak, uh, in reality, and. It, it, at Pacific Biochar, especially out in Hawaii, was just different scale of it. Yeah, it, it's just yeah. Uh, uh, amazing stuff. So, and and the good news for you is that you got to go to Hawaii, you got to go to Borneo, you got to go. Where else did you go in the filming of this? We went to, we went to also to Costa Rica. Um, we did a lot of filming here in the Bay Area. But you know, the the real sweet thing about making a film like this is you get to sit right next to the experts that really have so much to share you would never get that top spot as a tourist and so you know it really helps um helps just inspire you so much yeah. to just keep plugging away and getting more and more information and that's what happened we started off with the film going to be pretty much just about biochar but it didn't take very long to see that one door opened another and it would have been almost irresponsible to not follow that chain that line uh i hear your dog uh, in the background uh, <laughs> you know what i guess stressing I, a little bit about that <laughs> uh, no that's okay I, I i don't know what we would do if we didn't have an animal barking or or chattering somehow or chirping or screeching in the background on our skype conversations <laughs> it just always seems to happen so we're 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 animal friendly here so we, we don't yeah, sorry about that <laughs> Uh, I put her in another room so this wouldn't happen, but now she's protesting. So. Well, well, Bring her on camera. Yeah, might as well. Uh, so, and speaking of animals, uh, and you were talking about some of the animals you filmed, like beaver and uh, prairie dogs and orangutan, or orangutan, however you choose to pronounce it. Um, some of that footage is, is amazing. Uh, and were you crawling on your belly like a reptile to get stuff like that? I mean, how did how did you find those shots? Well, the orangutans, we went to Borneo with Dr. Willie Smits, mm -hmm. which was an incredible experience, just phenomenal experience. A lot of the beaver shots, I got some of them, but some of them are stock footage on some of the beaver shots. Those okay. were hard to get because they come out at night and mm -hmm. they're very, very shy animals and they don't like having you around. You know, they'll smack their tail on the water as a warning to back off and <laughs> uh go into their dens, you know, and yeah. they're very difficult. Although we did manage to find some up in Napa that we were able to film mm. and some in Martinez. And we did get those shots ourselves. Um, the prairie dogs also, some of it we shot, some of it was uh, footage that we got from people who are prairie dog 
photographers. Um, but the, the whole point of the animals, which is so kind of near and dear to me, is how important they are in the ecosystem. These are all keystone species, which is sort of the point of these particular animals in the film. There are so many other species that depend on those particular little animals who are managing our water. They're, they're keeping water on the landscape. They're keeping carbon in the soil, managing our soil underground, the prairie dogs. These species, when, when they're um, no longer in the ecosystem, all of the other species that depend on them suffer or disappear. And so we really wanted to point this out, how important it is to not eradicate things like prairie dogs, which is, and beaver, both of them uh, are, you know, destroyed every year by the thousands. And it's I think so much more important to figure out how we can work in concert with those animals so that they provide the services for us for free, much like bees. Yeah. yeah. You know, the point you make very well in the film, uh, it, it's one of the ones that, that struck me is that these keystone species, uh, as you say, uh, in some uh, situations are being obliterated, uh, but that's be, and it's for for specious reasons the 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 cattle ranchers are saying well we can't have a cattle stepping on them and as you point out in the film with the mounds they build that's not very likely to happen so it's just because they we get we get we human beings we get in our heads well this is a nuisance species and who are we to decide what a nuisance species is because are you a scientist you guys uh, and gals raising cattle and and providing all this meat that we probably don't need on the planet that's killing our planet anyway and then you decide what's a species that needs to live or die and you don't know what the unintended consequences of that will be and that's kind of what you're pointing out isn't it Absolutely. And, you know, we have to consider ourselves as a nuisance as well. I mean, the impact we have as human beings on the planet, uh, well, it's not, it's not too stellar. And so, you know, I totally agree with you. We can't put ourselves in a position of dominating nature. If we don't figure out a way to work with the natural systems, we literally are just paving our way for our own extinction. Uh, and, uh, so it's that way with, with the beavers, obviously with beavers, you know, people, I, I've heard people complain about beavers before in, in areas where trees get cut down. And, uh, my response is usually, well, weren't they here first? Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and as you point out in the film, again, they are providing services in terms of, uh, water. Uh, you, you note that nearly 10% of the, uh, what do you call it? The, um, what what kind of water uh, on in the United States was uh, created by beavers? I, I want to say standing water, but that's not right. Uh, yeah, the, the the when the water comes off of the mountain from snowmelt, beaver will keep that water on the landscape by creating ponds and wetlands. Yeah. And these ponds and wetlands build up soil that's never exposed to oxygen. So there's a ton of carbon in that soil, and it becomes home for so many other species. And so it's um, it's not only the other animals that depend on these beaver and how they keep water on the landscape, but we as human beings need that water, and all of the plants and the soil microbes need it as well. What's your, what's your dog's name? 
Giselle, do you want me to do something about that on commercial well, break? <laughs> yeah, I, I, we're coming up on commercial break in about three minutes, so maybe yeah, we'll... Yeah, Gis- Giselle, yeah. Giselle, uh, calm I down. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'll figure something out. I'll put her outside. It's been raining here in California. <laughs> Good dog. We're going to put good you girl. out in the rain. Yeah. That, you'll be a good Aww. dog out there. Uh, we're, we're, we're talking to Marcy Cravat, who is the uh, filmmaker, the director of, you know, it's interesting. I went online IMDb and they don't, they list you as director, but not for Angel Azul, but you directed that as well. Yeah, I did. That, that could be my fault. I haven't kept up on that IMDb thing. I <laughs> Need to do that. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah. Well, you know, here we are. I, I, I I completely understand every time I go somewhere online, someplace, uh, my stuff is out of date and I don't know how I can possibly keep up. And so it's nice to know that even fancy filmmakers have that same, (laughs) that same issue. Uh, and the name of the film is dirt rich. And we're we're uh, talking about it because it's going to be at the One Earth Film Festival, which starts on the first of March, and there's going to be a bunch of films. In fact, we should probably, when we come back from the break, go over some of the different films that are going to be there. Um, it's even in Indiana this year. It's extended. Yeah, all over the Chicago. Yeah. So not just in the city, but uh, in you know, for instance, uh, two of the uh, uh, appearances uh, of Dirt Rich will be outside the city, one in Grays Lake on Wednesday, March 3rd, when Marcy Cravat will be there to talk about her film. March 6th. Uh, what did I say? March 6th, uh, 6.30 p.m. at the College of Lake County. Saturday, March 9th at Triton College, and, and then uh, at, that's at 2 p.m., and then Sunday, March 3rd um, at Windsor Park Lutheran Church in Chicago. Uh, we're going to take, well, we still got a, a, a minute left here. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the biochar and I also want to talk about what you got out of the film, because as you, as you say, you sort of put it into four sections and they're all a little bit different. But but and that's your point. And you do make it in the film, which is one size does not fit all in terms of ch- solving this problem of too much carbon in our atmosphere is that all of the above strategies have to work. Otherwise, we're, we're not going to get there. Right. Right. Yeah. The 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 focus of the film is on soil revitalization, more even putting carbon back in the soil for that purpose, more so even than pulling it out Mm -hmm. of the air, to be quite honest. Um, And the you know, the scientists are predicting that we have about 65 harvests left. So this means that our soil is not in good shape and it's been eroded and destroyed by chemicals and poor agricultural practices for just too many years now. And this is the window in time where we have to change that and to build the soil back okay. up again. Okay, hold that thought. We'll be right back. Okay. Is your couch killing you? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Americans have much higher levels of flame retardants in their bodies than anyone else in the world. In fact, California children have some of the highest levels ever measured. Flame retardants are found in furniture, electronics, and even in baby products, and have been linked to cancer, birth defects, and other serious health issues. OMG, what's a Green Diva, or dude, to do? Furniture that does not contain polyurethane foam usually does not contain flame-retardant chemicals. 
There are nonprofit organizations that have done the homework for us and have lists of flame retardant free furniture manufacturers. I'm Green Diva Meg, and you can find more low stress green living tips at thegreendivas.com. This is Mike Novak. Serious and even not-so-serious gardeners in the Chicago area know that there's a year-round resource that always comes in handy, Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. It's the garden magazine for our region, and it's packed with information about plants indoors and out. Every issue contains insightful articles by gardening pros, fantastic photos, science, and more. With features like what to do in the garden, design tips, and Chicagoland natives, you're going to be ready to grab a trowel and dig. Even I have a column in the inside back page of every issue. It's practically fact-free, and I'm proud of it. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. More wonderful music from Tom Rhodes in the film Dirt Rich coming to the One Earth Film Festival. Uh, And we will have more on that in just a second. But first, I need to ask you, do you have a minute for your trees? Bartlett Tree Experts has some advice. In fact, uh, here's some information about Bartlett. As you know, they've become a a sponsor of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki this year. Uh, okay, here's a little factoid that you might not be aware of. They're not from Bartlett, Illinois. That's not where the name comes from. It's a third-generation family-owned company. Robert Bartlett is the CEO, but uh, the Bartlett company goes back to the Bartlett family in 1907. They have 120 offices around the world, including Canada, England, and Ireland, but certainly a lot in the United States. As a matter of fact, the largest residential tree care firm in the world. They're backed by the Bartlett Research Laboratories in Charlotte, North Carolina, Seven Ph.D. scientists dedicated to researching the best tree care techniques to bring their clients Uh, bring to their clients an arborist. And of course, in the Chicago area, there are more than 80 tree care professionals. There are four branches in Chicagoland, Barrington, Naperville, Chicago. Uh, There's downtown in Garfield Park, as a matter of fact, and uh, in suburban Northbrook. Did you know they were the first OMRI certified tree fertilizer? It's something called Boost Natural and something that uh, we'll talk about in the future. And they pioneered IPM in the landscape in the 1970s. Yeah, that's a while ago, but a lot of folks still practice IPM today. I'm telling you all this because these are the people you want to call when you have tree care questions. Why? Because every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We have Marcy Kravit, Kravat. I'm sorry, Marcy Kravat. <laughs> we had we had uh, a misspelling earlier in the week was Caravat. Uh, so uh, 
so so sorry about that, Marcy. But but you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I discovered, and 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 I'm sure you get asked this all the time. Your dad was in Hollywood and was a stunt man, but appeared in a lot. And he was a pal of Burt Lancaster, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they grew up together. Um, they were pretty much like brothers. Um, they did all of their own acrobatics, taught themselves all of that. They grew up in Harlem, New York, very poor kids. And they went into the circus together and uh, did had an act and then ended up in Hollywood and made my father was um they did all of their own stunts in a couple of the films that my father was in that he actually co-starred in um, the Crimson Pirate and the Flame in the Arrow. I don't know if you remember those old films that they're pretty cool. Well, I, I, and my dad also incidentally, this is just a side note. He was that gremlin. I know. I was going to say that. I like so. <laughs> Uh, so you know uh, that gremlin on the wing? That's that the, scary thing. That's the one. He was in the Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> William Shatner looking yeah. out on the airplane wing. And uh and he was the gremlin yeah. on the airplane wing. That is that see now to me that's huh. the claim to fame. But then <laughs> but I'm a child of the sixties, okay? So yeah. that that so that's cool. That's that's a very good you have you have a pedigree there, Marcy. <laughs> <laughs> I keep looking on the wings of those planes every time I fly, and I haven't seen them out there. <laughs> uh, getting back to your film, uh, Dirt Rich, uh, and we've been playing music from Tom Rhodes. Tell me about that experience working with Tom Rhodes, who, who, as Peggy tells me, just had his fourth album come out. Something at like that? Least, at least, yeah. He's really talented. Um, we were looking for basically a through character in our music, meaning that we didn't have a through character the way we did in Angel Azul, where we Mm -hmm. followed the artist all the way through the film. And um, I knew that keeping people's attention through these carbon sequestration strategies was going to be a little bit of a challenge. And so I wanted to approach that creatively, come up with a creative solution. So I really felt that the music had to be the through character for the (laughs) film so that there would be some cohesiveness and you would feel like you were part of the whole film and that it wasn't compartmentalized. And so we found Tom Rhodes and he happens to be local here Uh, in the Bay Area where I live, so it was really easy to work with him. He more or less just handed me over his music library, and like serendipity, songs just fell into place. And as long as those songs were available and not taken by somebody else, I was allowed to use them, and that's how that happened. I'm extremely lucky and happy to have had Tom Rhodes' music. I think that Heartland style just really speaks. And we also have a wonderful harpist, too, that comes in in those more sort of serene moments. Um, Amelia Romano, and she's also fantastic, uh, another fantastic musician, and she really provided that sort of more magical type of music when that was needed in our film, and we brought her in and out of the film a few times too, again, to provide some cohesive um, thread for the film. And, and, and people who don't work in film, and I've, and I've only worked a little bit, uh, putting films together, but I've done enough theater, uh, and and you know what music does for a theatrical piece, whether it's on film, uh, video, uh, or or live. And I I was just listening to I I got struck by the music. I have to admit that it really it really reached out to me. So you did a really good job with uh, bringing in Tom Rhodes. 
Um, and I just, I've just imagined you sitting there going, yes, this is going to really work well for this uh, segment. It's amazing how that happened, how certain words just worked, uh, you know, talking about California or it was just, I can't tell you how many magical moments there were in the editing process with that music. Uh, and also Gregory Cruz, tell us a little about Gregory Cruz, who is your narrator for mm -hmm. this. Yeah. Greg is really cool too. Um, I saw him in the movie Hell or High Water, uh, which you may have seen. It was kind of a big film back a few years ago. Um, and he played a role called Comanche uh, around a, a roulette table in Vegas. And he was so striking to me with his voice. He has a very deep voice and a really great Native American presence. And I really just thought that was so fantastic. And we needed to have a narrator that would not be taking on sort of the um, God speak or what do you call that? You know, the kind of narration where there's yeah. text. he more or less enhances conversations that didn't quite get finished um, or needed just another extra little clarification. And so it's a very easy user friendly narration. You know, he feels more like one of the gang than this, you know, narrator coming from out of somewhere else. Right. The, and, the voice from on high. Yeah. yeah you know, exactly. we wanted to avoid that. I, yeah. I had to, I have to admit that uh, listening and watching as a writer, I noticed that the bridges that you added and sometimes it would be only a sentence or two and, yeah. and you would go like from one piece to the next and you would go, Oh, that was smooth. That's nice. And, mm -hmm. and it's really invaluable to be able to do that uh, because sometimes you realize, Oh, we didn't get that guy to say that line. So let's have the narrator do it. Yeah, that's so true. And this was a really, really tricky edit because there were so many experts talking very fluidly about so many of the topics in the film that you could have them all talk about just about any of that. So we had to sort of separate it, you know, like I'd be tempted to use something that somebody said, but they didn't come into the film yet. And so I couldn't use that. And so sometimes I grabbed their words and gave them to Greg and let Greg say something that maybe Tom Garreau said. In, in my recordings of him. Mm -hmm. And so that way the message got out without randomly bringing Tom in in a place where it wouldn't make any sense. It was very tricky. There was a, <laughs> a long time listening, about a year's worth of listening to all of that dialogue before the film took shape. We didn't know where it was going. We just filmed, 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 filmed. And then it was like the story had to present itself to us. And it was really tricky and really hard. And I almost threw in the towel. I mean, I, mm. I got really frustrated because I couldn't put it all together. And same thing with Angel Azul, the same thing happened. And I knew if I just stuck it out, stuck it out, somehow in a quiet moment, the whole thing would tie together. And that's what happened with Dirt Rich. And then I realized, you know, this is a strategy film. I didn't even really realize when I was filming you know, I thought it was a biochar film, you know, or a carbon sequestration film, but it was really a, a journey of strategies. And when that became clear to me, suddenly the editing clicked and the music fell into place and really right. helped. Before we leave, I want to uh, pay tribute to Dr. Willie Smits, who is uh, one of the people that you interview. I'm going to play a little something that he said in the film that was just really, really powerful. And we'll have a couple of minutes and I'd just like you to reflect on uh, your work with Dr. Smits, who is in Borneo, and he's working with orangutans there. And he said this, and I was pretty struck by it. So, Willie, 
is there any way to grow palm oil sustainably? Is there a way to grow oil palm sustainably? The short version, no. The long version, you always need fertilizer that comes from fossil fuels, so you can never be sustainable. The same thing for the pesticides. The job opportunities given in it are only one job per 11 hectares, and they are low-paid and dirty and dangerous jobs. The poison and the mud that's coming out of these plantations is floating into the rivers, is killing off the fishes, making navigation impossible. The mud is killing off the coral reefs and the sea, the breeding grounds for the fish. The fishermen lose their income. There is no sustainable palm oil. Not even speaking about the loss of the biodiversity and the mechanization that will soon come in and take away the last few jobs for the local people. There's none of the local people that has any higher job in this. And it's all coming down to greed, greed and corruption that this is still happening every day. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Very moving. That, yeah. guy, that guy embodies passion for what he does. So tell me, we got to have about 30 seconds here. Tell me just a little bit about working with uh, Dr. Willie Smith. That was probably the most moving part of filming was, was being with Willie. We flew all the way over to Borneo for that. We stayed in his house. He took us all over the place, all over the country uh, to different spots. I've never, ever in my life seen such passionate uh, dedication and compassion. He he was really a remarkable guy um, to to get to know. And I think that in my memory of make of making this film, that stands out for me um, as probably the the most deep connection that I felt. Uh, you know, as I was filming. Marcy Cravat, uh, thank you so much. If folks want more information, they should go see this film. OneEarthFilmFest.org OneEarthFilmFest.org uh, I hope when you're in town I get a chance to meet you. I don't know if it's going to be possible. We'll try. Uh, but congratulations. The film's wonderful and I hope a lot of people see it. Thank you so much, Mike, for having me. It's nice to see you both. This is Peggy Malecki, and guess what time it is? It's time to start working on your spring garden indoors. The way to do that is with some seeds in your Happy Leaf Advanced LED Grow Lights. Your seedlings will grow bigger, faster, and better thanks to their proprietary technology. 50,000-plus-hour minimum lifespan, five-year warranty, USA-made. Go to happyleafled.com and save 10% on purchases over $100 when you use the code MIKE. Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights. Your veggies will thank you. Celebrate local, sustainable, humane, and fair food at the 15th Annual Good Food Expo. Connect with Midwest farmers and producers in the Good Food Marketplace. Learn from chefs like Erling Wu Bauer and Joe Flam, and eat delicious food in the Good Food Court. Entry is free with online registration. The Good Food Commons is back, as is Test Your Soil. Good Food happens Saturday, March 23rd at the UIC Forum in Chicago. Go to goodfoodexpo.org. Do you love trees? Do you have a great story to tell about a special tree in your life? The Morton Arboretum and Openlands have partnered to launch Tremendous Tree Stories, an online collection of stories highlighting people's connection to trees. Submit stories of the trees you cherish, remember from childhood, or that hold a special meaning for you. Browse the collection and consider sharing your own tree story by visiting tree-stories.org. Tree-stories.org.
take me out. <laughs> uh, what I what back when I was at um, Gargantua Radio down the dial, and uh, I don't know if Rick uh, DeMaio remembers this, but my show was followed by Steve Dale, who did the Steve Dale's Pet World, the pet, the pet show, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And and our yeah, our remember. apparently our crosstalks were legendary. Really? All right, because they, really? were, yeah, because they, they weren't always friendly. All right, they, uh, <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. I I love Steve Dale. Okay, uh, he's a great guy, and I I saw him recently, and and when I was uh, actually playing um, uh, Frank uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, uh, and he stopped by, and uh, we took a photo together, and everything. So I, don't get me wrong, I love Steve Dale, but the, our crosstalks are interesting because sometimes <laughs> sometimes my show would slop over a minute into his show, and. And then I would get, Uh-oh. and I would get the evil eye from him, and uh, uh-huh. and 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 then folks would write to us. They go, "Wow, that that crosstalk was really interesting." <laughs> <laughs> so it's the dangers of. So, so what you're saying, Mike, Mike, what you're saying is you didn't use the time that was appropriated towards you legally. And you declared an emergency and took time from someplace else to your benefit. <laughs> right, I declared yes a state, oh, a state of emergency, and I need I need a minute from you, you Steve. Narcissist, imperialistic, monarchical, dictator, <laughs> person, whatever you want to call. Yeah, it. and and the point was <laughs> the music I just <laughs> the music I just played is a song from Franz Ferdinand called "Take Me Out," mm-hmm. and that was one of the right. one of the themes that they used for Steve Dale's mm-hmm. Pet World, and I just it always made me laugh to think that that's the song. <laughs> The song that led into Steve Dale was "Take Me Out," or at least they played it sometimes mm-hmm. during the show. So, right. and and so, I'm thinking so about being that Steve likes being that Steve likes pets, and you like the environment. Did you guys argue about like whether or not how much poop is good for <laughs> you know growing flowers in the springtime that you don't pick up during the wintertime? We we would we would occasionally go into little diatribes <laughs> like that and little sure. discussions. Uh, but but you know I'm also th- I'm also thinking of uh, the the take me out in terms of the snow today because that sh- that should make you happy and make you want to take oh I love it yeah, yeah. you know this is actually going to be the biggest snow so far of the month of February even though we've had lots of days of precipitation uh, we've only had 3.8 officially at O'Hare Field there's been a lot of snow to the north uh, a lot of snow to the north and west tremendous amounts in parts of California. I mean, some areas, I was watching these great webcams. I think I said that to you last night out across yeah. the uh, Truckee and Squaw Valley area. Um, they're measuring the snow in feet. And I mean, not not just feet, but like almost like close to 10 feet. There's some pl- places that over the last five to six days have had nearly 110 to 120 inches of snow. Wow. And that is, that's fabulous news. Yeah, Pig, fabulous news. Not only uh, for the state of California for their res- reservoirs, but, you know, great news for, you know, the upcoming growing season. Mm-hmm. And people say, oh, that's great for skiing. No, it's terrible because people can't get to the ski resort. <laughs> and it's hard to ski when the snow is eight feet deep, so you have to do a lot of grooming. So uh, the fact that it's occurring this late in the growing season or this late in the winter season is really just all thumbs up for much of the western United States. And the pattern uh, is not going to go away anytime soon. This deep trough out across the uh, western Pacific into the Rocky Mountains is literally going to be there for the next two weeks, which kind of bodes well for us uh, from a standpoint of maybe a little bit of snow here, maybe a little bit of snow there, but we're not, we're not going to get into any more Arctic air anytime soon. Typically, this time of the year, you don't. 
But when you have big troughs out west, it definitely you, you take the Arctic and you basically keep it up in Canada. And, mm-hmm. you know, you talked uh, the other week, and we didn't have enough time to go into this, but um, how you've been watching golf on television and yeah. on the West Coast. Uh, I, I, you know, it's one of my guilty pleasures, yeah. On Sunday <laughs> afternoon, oh, I'm, I'm going to watch golf because it's very sooth- yeah. it's very soothing, okay? And I, right. I love golf. I don't get to play very much, and uh, so I watch other people play golf. And on the West Coast, I have never seen people bundled up and and right. and, and, go, right. and and in the elements like they have been. They had right. they had hail out there last week that just they yeah. had they had yeah. halt in Monterey, play. Yeah, yeah, and 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 even this week it's cold, and they're all wearing these winter caps and jackets. I know. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I know. I think I think at the end of the uh, the the Pebble Beach Pro Am last week in Monterey, I mean it was like it was like forty eight degrees with like a twenty mile per hour wind, and you know when you're standing out there in the elements, you know you kind of want to be a little bit you know on the bundled up side. But I mean, people literally had like Patagonias and hats and gloves. It was a little, taking it a little bit too far. But again, you know you're outside for four hours, you're going to get on the you know it's going to get chilly. And then now the uh, the uh, the golf tournament is down in the L.A. area where they've had rounds and rounds of rain. But all you got to do is get up about three or 4,000 feet elevation, and, and you're in three to four feet of snow. Uh, so people forget that it doesn't take much to get snow uh, in the mountains of California, and they're getting that there today. Matter of fact, this system that's hitting us today uh, literally came through the central sections of the Sierras, on, um, central regions of the Sierras, on Thursday, which is why by the time it gets here, it's basically just a whole bunch of moisture just kind of rippling through the atmosphere. So uh, we got this burst of snow this morning. The radar shows it to be breaking up probably within the next hour or two. And then there'll be kind of like some backside light snow and flurries uh, through the evening, maybe even early tomorrow morning, which could bring accumulation to over four inches in some areas, which is pretty healthy again for this time of the year. I mean, we haven't had much snow so far. This month we have a lot of freezing rain and drizzle, and goodness, we're done. We're done with that stuff. Those those kind of events are a little bit on the pain part mm-hmm. as far as driving is concerned. Well, and I was mentioning earlier, I'm happy to see snow just to see the insulation for the plants again. Oh but, yeah. But then you know we've had we've had, we keep getting these snow events, and then it melts, and then it gets cold, right. and then it. Re- Refreezes, yeah. Yeah, yep. so it's tough. It's it's tough on uh, plants, especially if you put them in at the end of last year. There might be some more <sighs> mortality. All right, you so you be prepared well, for that. You know what I what I worry about, Mike and Peg, is the oversalting of sidewalks. Uh, whenever you get snow, you scrape it, you you shovel it, you plow it, and then you throw a little bit of salt down, and the salt basically stays in the sidewalks. But when you start to get this melting and refreezing and people go nuts with salt, I, I get very concerned about how that's going to impact particularly the edges of areas of lawns, you know, yeah. public spaces and things like that. And we got to get a little bit more, you know, just you know, hold back a little bit on the salt. You don't need a lot. If you get it done the right way, you don't have to use so much of it. Yeah. So my concern is what's going to happen in another month, month and a half, when things start to grow, particularly in your public green spaces, how the oversalting of our walkways due to the fact that so many events of freezing rain is going to make things look. Well, and it's interesting you say that. We're going to need to get to a forecast here, but I've got some neighbors, and one of whom I really like and I know is a really smart guy, and and yet he'll slather his walk with salt. And I want right. and I and I and I have to say to him, 
Do you know where this is going? You know, and he's just concerned about he wants to be the guy in the block that doesn't have a lick of mm-hmm. snow or ice on his walk. Right, and, right, and right, I, right. But except that when all the snow and ice melts, there's still these huge piles of salt there, and it's all going right. to get washed yeah. right. wash yeah. into Rather the Rather than using yeah. the tiniest amount right. on the ice. And, right. And, yeah, maybe I think that'll be a great discussion for the next two weeks to see, you know, even though we're at, you know, slightly, you know, we're above normal snowfall for the season, about 10 inches, but we may end up with only 40 inches, and we'll get to the forecast in a second, but <laughs> is the city of Chicago using more salt? Are people in downtown Chicago using more salt because the way that we're getting our winter precipitation is not the way we used to get it. All right, give us that forecast very quickly. All right, so two to three inches today, maybe another inch overnight. Tomorrow's temperatures generally in the low to mid-30s, mid-30s on Tuesday, and then another round of snow, maybe two to four inches on Wednesday, and maybe some rain by the end of the week. But overall, uh, typical stuff for this time of the year. The best thing about it, Mike and Peg, yeah. sunset is at 5.30 by Tuesday. Woo! Okay. Thank you, Rick DeMaio. Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.